Before we jump into our sermon this morning, I wanted to um, give a couple thoughts. Uh, number one, I was praying this uh, past week, I saw an officer killed and Gwinnett, and it definitely made me think about members of our body uh, who are serving as police officers. And um, I think sometimes we miss uh, the opportunity to pray for members of our church, and I specifically want to encourage us to be praying for those uh, officers here in our congregation, but also officers here are facing significant issues daily. I also wanted to highlight two um, announcements again. One is Operation Christmas Child, and then the second is the outreach that we're going to do next week. Um, it's super easy for us to get to a place in our lives where we are just uh, concerned about our address, right? I want you to think about your address for, for a moment. And it's super easy for me to live my life in such a way where I'm just concerned about what happens in my but we need to get to a place where we are concerned about other people who are not where we are. Um, the reason why we're doing the Operation uh, Christmas Child is because we want to see uh, people across the world impacted by the gospel. And one of the reasons why we're going to do the outreach this Wednesday and next Sunday is we want to take the opportunity to tell people who are unchurched, unsaved, and unconnected to the local church about Jesus. Uh, the wind is not... Uh, going out to fuss at people or to make people um, come to our church. But the goal is we want to clearly and passionately communicate the gospel of Jesus. Uh, so if that is uh, something that's important to God, uh, that's something that should be important to us, right? And if you, uh, I'm not trying to shame anybody this morning, but if that's not important to you, I think we need to take a few moments to ask, Lord, what's going on in my heart? that the things that are important to you have not also become important to me. Amen? So this Wednesday, we'll meet here at 6 o'clock. I don't know how many times or how many people we will get to meet, but we're going to probably go from about 6 uh, to 7.15. We're going to try to have about four groups, and we're going to just go out and knock on doors. Um, this is a little, I hope you get this, I hope you guys take this um, not, as a, um, not as a knock, but I hope our church um, is known for being outstanding for being committed to leaving the four walls of the church, right? So last time we did this, um, when people asked us, were we, were we Jehovah Witness? Was, some, something inside of me was like, we need to do this more often so that when people get the knock on their door, they don't think that it's the, the Jehovah Witness. Hopefully they see that it's people from Calvary who are leaving this body and leaving this building and going out and sharing the gospel. Amen. Uh, Patrick, could you grab the mic for me? Get that. So this morning, we want to turn our attention to James chapter number one. Thank you, my brother. Oops. Use this. James chapter number one. We're going to look at verses uh, one, or actually verses nineteen through verse twenty-seven. James. Chapter number one, verses 19 through 27. Very clearly. This one. Amen. And the scripture simply declares, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being, being, um, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue uh, but deceives his heart, for this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep uh, oneself unstained from the world. Uh, this morning, I want to just share briefly uh, from the subject title, uh, Please Don't Deceive Yourself. Please don't deceive yourself. Let me pray for us. Father, it is always a blessing to be able to get into your word. Lord, I cannot speak uh, for the congregation, but I have been greatly impacted by this series in James. God, I pray that you would increase our faith. God, we know that we are in a fallen world, but God, you have given us a living and a dynamic faith. God, so help that grow. God, help that be real. God, help that to be something uh, that is significant, not just one day of the week or not just two days of the week and not just when I'm around the church folks. God, but help the gospel, help the message of Jesus get us to a place where we are able to really live out our faith. God, help us to be in a position where we are able to know exactly what you're calling us to do. God, you are truly good. And we are so, so, so very thankful for all of the blessings and the opportunities that you give us. We love you. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. In the 1997 movie, Liar, Liar, Jim Carrey stars as a successful lawyer. He was a successful lawyer, but he was a lawyer who simply could not tell the truth. In the movie, his character lied to his boss. In the movie, his, his, his character uh, lied to his clients. He lied to judges. He lied to women. He lied to his own son. But worst of all, in the movie, Liar, Liar, Jim Carrey's character lied to himself. At the turning point in the movie, uh, Carrie's character lies to his son about missing his birthday, and his son is completely devastated. He, he's, he's devastated because his father made a promise to him not to be there, and his dad lied about why he could not make it. And right before his son blows out uh, the candles on the cake, he makes a wish. And the wish that his son makes is that his father would only be able to tell the truth. When I think about the movie and the son's desire for his father to tell the truth, it certainly reminds me of God's desire for you and I to walk in the truth. That's why 3 John chapter number 1 verse 4 simply says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. 
It is us walking in the truth that brings God joy. Not just our praise, not just our attendance to church, uh, certainly not our moral performance. What brings our God joy is when you and I walk in the truth. That is the message of the Bible, and specifically, that is the message of James chapter number 1, verses 19 through 27. In the passage we will study together this morning, James focuses on the danger of self-deception. I'm going to say that again. The, the, the major thought of the passage is this. James is telling us that if we're not careful, we will deceive ourselves. But if we deceive ourselves, and if you think about it from this perspective, it's one thing for Satan to deceive us, but there's another thing for us to be deceived because of our own passions and our own desires and our unwillingness to look at the truth. As we begin our study this morning, I believe it's very, uh, very important for us to approach the text understanding that there are two potential groups here this morning who are being deceived. The first group is the group of people who think that they are a part of God's family. And yes, while we are all created in the image of God, yes, we all have value. Yes, we are all created in God's image. We have the imago dei uh, placed upon us. Just because we are created in God's image does not mean that we are a part of God's family. A person is only a part of God's family when they come into a right relationship with Jesus. Uh, the second group that we must consider this morning is the group uh, who is who is um, in danger of thinking that, that just because we are involved in spiritual activities, that we've reached a place of spiritual maturity. It's very easy for us to be um, involved and engaged in spiritual activities, church on Sunday, a small group discipleship. Uh, we're able to get the Bible app on our phones. We're able to get our daily devotions. We're able uh, to, to congregate and to fellowship with other believers. And it's easy for us to think that just because I have a certain activity level that I've, that I've also reached a certain level of spiritual maturity. I love our pastors this morning because James provides three very simple steps to protect ourselves from being deceived. As we look at the passage, we should not focus on whether or not we desire to be mature because I, if I were to take a straw poll, I don't think that anyone in here would say, please categorize me as being immature. Like no one here today would say, please tell me how immature I am. No one has concluded that they want to be immature. We all would say that we have a desire to be mature. The question that we need to consider is not do we desire to be mature. The question that we must ask ourselves is this. Am I willing to take the steps that the scriptures have clearly outlined so that I can walk in maturity? So to protect ourselves uh, from being deceived, we see three very simple steps. And the first step that we see in the text is if we want to uh, protect ourselves from being deceived, we must commit to walking in humility. Uh, verse number eight, 19 says again, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Every one of you should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We must remember 
that from the context of James chapter number one, James is addressing trials and James is addressing temptations. Our trials being the opportunities that God assigns us that helps us grow. Temptations being opportunities that God, or no, I'm sorry, temptations being opportunities that Satan presents to us that cause us to sin. As we face trials and temptations, we are called to respond in a way that is marked by humility. Uh, I think if we're honest today, all of us on some level struggle with the issue of humility. All of us struggle with the issue of humbling ourselves. We struggle with the issue of understanding that our way is not the best way, but in the text, we see that when we are faced with a trial, when we are faced with a temptation, we need to respond in, in a way that is marked by humility. In the text, James specifically says, you need to be quick to listen. When you're faced with a trial, when you're faced with temptation, James says, be in a hurry to hear from God. I'm going to say it again. When you find yourself faced with the trials of life, what, what James encourages us to do is, we need to be in a place where we are in a hurry to hear from God. James reminds us that hearing from God should be the default of our lives. So the question that we want to consider on this point, when we are faced with the trials and temptations of life, what is your default? Where do you go when you face trials? How do you respond when you face temptation? If I'm honest, I'm going to be honest as a pastor, my default is usually to complain. My default is to usually think that this is something that someone else should be going through and I should not be going through it. My default is I have lived good enough to get a pass from the pain. I've lived good enough uh, for God to exclude me from going through the trials and the temptations of life. For some of us, we are quick to post on social media. We are quick to talk to a friend. We are quick to close the Bible. We are quick to miss church or small group. We are quick to miss our discipleship time. We are quick uh, to check our horoscope. But are we quick to listen to God? Are we in a hurry to listen to what God has to say to us? In the text, James is communicating to us that when we are facing the trials of life and the temptations of life, the first thing that we should do is to go to God. Now, here's the reality. In our lives, there will be various voices that are present. In your life daily, you will have Satan's voice, you will have a spouse's voice, you will have a parent's voice, you will have a friend's voice. And while some of those voices are from good people with really good intentions, we must get to a place in our lives where spiritually God's voice is the loudest voice and God's voice is the most important and significant voice in my life. We need to get to a place where we can hear God clearly even in the midst of competing voices. I'm sure we've all been there where we were trying to uh, watch a movie or listen to a message and people around us just want to talk. You just, people just yapping. I actually kind of like going to the movies and I, I love the outside commentary sometimes. It makes it a little bit more full, makes the experience a little bit better, right? But there are other times in my life where I need to shut out the noise where I really need to hear from God. 
And James is reminding us that we need to get to a place in our lives where we can hear God clearly. Now, somebody's probably thinking, okay, pastor, I get it. I need to hear God. I need to be quick to listen. But, but, but pastor, listening is hard. I mean, not just from a spiritual perspective, even from a cultural perspective, uh, listening is just really tough. And I want to let you know this morning, I want to agree with you that listening to anyone is tough, and listening to God is even tougher this morning. Today we face uh, so many distractions, we face uh, so much busyness, we face uh, so many things that consume our lives, that consume our calendar, uh, we face so many things that cause us to have to make a decision. Uh, even uh, the culture that we live in, we are so visually stimulated. We feed off of things that are visual. Even when you watch a TV show, uh, they say that uh, most TV shows only have scenes that last uh, 45 to 60 seconds because... You and I cannot keep our focus for more than 60 seconds. We live in a culture and a time where we are, we, are, we are struggling to listen. We live in a day and time where the phone gets in the way, the internet gets in the way, the job gets in the way. Uh, so many things get in the way, but I want to challenge you this morning. The, the, though the struggle is real, maturity reminds us that we must never allow temporal things to get in the place of eternal things. We must remember that faith comes from hearing and hearing of God's word. We must listen to God's word if we want to increase our faith. So the passage tells us, number one, be quick to hear, but secondly, it says be slow to speak. It has been said that we have two ears and one mouth, which means we ought to speak less than we hear. Too many times we face the trials and temptations of life and we want to argue with God. We want to argue with people. Maybe not with our, with our voice audibly, but in our hearts and in our minds, we are constantly in this argument with the Lord. So many times I felt, this is me personally, where I was slighted or wronged as if God was not listening to me. When I'm going through trials and temptations, it's almost as if I'm in an argument by myself, and the argument is one side, and I feel like if I could just get a word across, if I could just uh, say something in the midst of the argument, I just want to say something uh, because I feel like what I have to say is important. And my brothers and my sisters, this morning, I want to encourage you that when you find yourself in the midst of a trial, when you find yourself in the midst of temptation, yes, what you have to say to God is important. Let me say this very slowly. When you are living your life spiritually, what you have to say to the Lord is significant. It is important. But let me also say this. What God has to say to you is far more important. That's why we need to be quick to listen, because what God has to say to you will always be more important than what you have to say to God. When we are going through a rough season when we're going through a, a storm, I know you want to share your heart, and I know you want to be heard, but please remember that your words and your thoughts do not have the authority and the validity of God's word and his thoughts. In the text, James is reminding us that our opinions, our thoughts, our words should always be secondary and subordinate to God's word and God's thoughts. Therefore, James says... Be quick to listen and be slow to speak. Uh, you, usually we are quick to speak because 
we have concluded that what we have to say is more important than the other person who's talking. Um, usually in our marriage counseling, when we, when we talk about communication, we often encourage the couples uh, that you should uh, listen to understand rather than listening to respond. When you listen to respond, you are simply trying to persuade the other person who's talking without even considering what they have to say. Uh, you're just ready for them to shut up so you can say what you want to say. You have concluded that what you have to say is more important, it's more valid, and we need to understand that our thoughts and our opinions don't make the difference. It's God's thoughts and God's opinions that ultimately make the difference. My brothers and my sisters, this morning, we would do well to do the hard work of listening to God because what God is communicating to us will give us wisdom in the midst of our trials and our storms. The text says, be quick to listen, be slow to speak, but also it says, be slow to wrath. Essentially, the text is telling us we don't need to get angry with God about the trial, and we don't need to get angry with God about our temptations. James is telling us that the anger of man does not work out the righteousness of God. James is essentially saying, God is unbothered by your temper tantrum. It's easy for us to want to stomp our feet with God and get mad and I ain't coming to church, I ain't giving. We, we, we think that God is moved because we're upset, because we're pitching a fit. I have four kids, which means I'm a little experienced in this area. I am unmoved and unbothered by my kids having a meltdown. I actually think it's pretty funny. Because once they get through yelling and screaming and doing what they want to do, ultimately, they're going to do what I want them to do. And I, there's a lot of times when we get upset with God, we want to shake our fist at God, we get so mad. But the scripture is telling us that God is not impressed by you being upset. So first, to protect ourselves from being deceived, we must walk in humility. But secondly, we must walk in a way that is healthy. Verse 21 says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. From reading verse 21, it is clear that James sees the human heart as a garden, and left to itself, the soil would produce only weeds. So James encourages us, you need to pull out the weeds. Uh, in the text, James is reminding the audience that God's word has already been implanted. That's past tense. And while God's word has already been implanted in our hearts, it is possible to choke out the word. Because of the presence of filthiness and wickedness, uh, filthiness is, is defined as immorality. Wickedness is defined as perversion. Uh, one is rebellion to God. The other is a distorting of God's goodness. So to follow the illustration, he says we need to get to a place in our lives where filthiness and wickedness is something that we uproot out of the garden. It's true that, that, that the weeds of sin will choke out God's word in your life. The weeds of sin will stifle your growth. Reading the passage, we should recognize that the weeds keep you from growing the wickedness and the filthiness that's in our lives uh, must be addressed, not because it's wrong, not, well, not simply because it's wrong, but it's because it is hindering you from being the woman or the man that God has called you to be. When you look at our lives, when you look at 
what is choking our lives, we need to understand that it's really serious. Earlier this year, uh, Time Magazine did an article on what is uh, what many people call the choking game. Uh, the choking game is an activity where our kids and some adults, uh, they, they intentionally strangle themselves or their friends to get an instant shot of euphoria. Uh, they believe it's cheaper, quicker, easier, and more legal than drinking or smoking. The game, which goes by many different names, is not new, but in the age of silly uh, social media shenanigans, hospitals have said that the choking game is on the rise. The reality of it is, people are not taking the game seriously, and because they don't take the game seriously, over 82 deaths have been linked to the game. Now, as a parent, 82 deaths are too many. If it was my child, one too many deaths is just too many. I want you to think about it from, from this perspective. When God looks at your life, even one believer, even one Christian, even one member of, of our body being choked by sin is one too many. We've got to realize that when we sin, essentially we're playing a choking game. Every time I log onto the computer, and I look at pornography, I'm playing the choking game. Every time I'm watching something that is less than honoring to the Lord, it's not going to kill me, so I say or so I think. I'm playing the choking game. When I am marked by pride, when I am marked by selfishness, when I am consumed with what I want and how I feel and doing my own thing, essentially what I'm doing is I'm playing the choking game. Instead of playing the choking game, I, I want to encourage you to, to live out 1 Peter 2, verse 1. It says, so put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and slander. But like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up unto salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. It's amazing to me that that, I, that I, a baby naturally desires the milk from a mom. You don't have to, you don't have to really teach them anything. Like they are, they are going to latch on pretty quickly if the milk is present. And, and they get to a place where they, they desire the taste and they know that what they're tasting is ultimately good for them. In, in our lives, there, there are a lot of things that, that, that taste good to you that may not be good for you. But we got to get to a place in our lives where, where what, what's good for me outrules what tastes good to me. A lot of us, we play the choking game with sin because if we're honest, it feels good to me. There's certain sins that feel good. The scriptures tell us that sin is pleasurable for a season. I'm not going to sit up here and act like that, that sin is not fun. Just a lot. I remember growing up and my pastor would talk about sin as if it was just this, you know, it was the black plague. And then I, I started growing up a little bit and I started enjoying some sin. I'm like, hold on now. What he described and what I'm experiencing is, is different. But just like the euphoria of the choking game and people are playing a game because it's fun, it's exciting, they're, they're getting this, this, this high. That's the same way sin invades and arrests our lives. So when you look at the text, we got to look at it very clearly and understand that because there are weeds present in my life, 
I've got to be willing to address the weeds appropriately. One of my first, one of my favorite passages of Scripture dealing with sin is 1 John chapter number 1, verse 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. What we got to do is we got to get to a place in our life where we agree with God about what is filthiness, and what's wickedness. We've got to be humble enough and we've got to be healthy enough to agree with God that what he says is right and what I desire is wrong. So first, we see that if we're going to be uh, kept from deception, we must walk in humility. Secondly, we must walk in a way that is healthy. And lastly, to keep ourselves from being deceived, we must walk in honesty. Verse 22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer, who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. To ensure that we are not deceiving ourselves, we must accept that hearing the word is not enough. We must accept that it is a mistake to think that hearing a good sermon and having a good Bible study, that engaging in a good discipleship meeting is not what helps you grow. It is not what blesses your life. It is not the hearing, but the doing. It is not uh, the, the principle, but it is the application of God's word that leads to the blessing. This morning, if we think we are spiritually mature, just because we simply hear a message without responding to the message, then we are, re- we are really deceiving ourselves. Uh, in the previous verses, James compared God's word Um, to a seed, but now in this section, James compares God's word to a mirror because a mirror helps for examination. That's the main purpose for a mirror. Uh, You're able to look at yourself and you're able to see what's clean. You're able to see what's dirty. You're able to see what needs to be changed. As we look into God's word, uh, as we look into the mirror of God's word to hear the word, to be exposed to the truth of the word, And to not respond to it is to regress. It is self-deception. The passage simply says, when we hear the word without doing the word, we are like a male who looks and forgets. I I thought this was funny. Literally, in the text, it says male. It doesn't say anthropos, which is humankind. It says a man who looks in the mirror. Because women don't ever forget what they see in the mirror. Seriously. Like, if you don't believe that the Bible is, like, correct, like, to me, that's one of the proofs. Like, it is clear that the scriptures are on point. It's saying it's like a man who looks in the mirror and then immediately forgets what they see. I wanted to say this to be funny, but I wanted to say because I know I'm about to say something very important. God's word, if you don't catch nothing else from the sermon, catch this. God's word being a mirror is important because when you see in the mirror, 
you see what God sees. When I look into the mirror, I'm seeing exactly what the Lord sees. I'm seeing what he knows about me. I'm seeing his plan for me. I'm seeing what he desires. I'm not seeing myself based upon my desires, based upon what the world sees, based upon my uh, perception being impacted by the world's standards of beauty or success. I'm not being held hostage by what the world says a woman should be or a man should be or a husband should be or a wife should be or what my career should be. I'm not being held hostage by my family or anyone else. When we look into the mirror of God's word, we see exactly what God sees. And that is why Satan will try to hinder you from spending time in God's word. Because Satan doesn't want you to see what God sees. That is why it will always be more appealing to watch a show than to have a quiet time. That's why it will always be more appealing for you to spend time on your iPad or your cell phone or online. It will always be more appealing because Satan is going to make it appealing because he does not want you to see what God sees. He does not want you to know what God knows. And if Satan can be successful in keeping you away from God's word, he will keep your life distorted and held hostage. That's why watching Game of Thrones or Insecure or Grey's Anatomy or Blackish or This Is Us or The Voice or watching football, whatever it is, that's why that's going to be more appealing to you than spending time with God's word. Because Satan is deeply committed to keeping you from seeing what God sees. That's why it's going to be a battle to get in God's word. That's why it's a battle to come to church. You, you ever wonder why you and your spouse argue every Sunday morning? Not, not us. Tell about them. Just joking. No, seriously, you ever wondered? While you, you, set that, you set the clock to do your quiet time and something always comes up, you make a commitment to do discipleship and someone is going to interrupt you, it's because Satan is committed to keeping you away from the truth. Satan does not want you to see the freedom that we have in Christ and the forgiveness that we have in Christ and the faithfulness of Christ. Satan doesn't want you to see God's plan for your marriage. He doesn't want you to see how you have opportunities to disciple your kids. He doesn't want you to see how you can make a spiritual impact. Satan does not want you to see the opportunity to invest in people. So here's what Satan does. He says, I'm going to make any and everything more appealing than spending time with God because I know if I let these folks spend time with God, then God God will transform their life. We got to understand that part of the opportunity is to look inside the mirror. Now, now, the reality of it is, if we look to other mirrors, the world, the culture, our personal um, decision about what truth is, if we look to those mirrors, we will always think we're okay. If, if I look to the mirror of those who are failing, those who are not doing what's right, if I compare myself uh, to those who are not walking in the truth, I'm going to feel really, really good about myself. I'm going to pat myself on the back and feel like, T. Sutter's, you got, it, you got everything okay. I, I'm not on Instagram or Snapchat, but most of us understand the principle of the filters. The filter takes an image, but the filter ultimately distorts the image. It adds to it and it takes away from it. It changes the image from its realest form because ultimately the filter wants you to have a distorted view of the truth. 
That's why the scripture tells us, but the one who looks into the perfect law of liberty, the perfect law, because it's unfiltered, it's undistorted. That kind, of, that kind of mirror brings liberty and freedom because then we can see exactly what God sees. I want y'all to see the filters. Too many of us approach sermon or the Bible study or our devotional time kind of like we approach chewing gum. We take the piece in to enjoy the flavor, but we spit it out as soon as we're ready for another piece. We don't swallow it. We don't make it a part of us because our intention is to just get the flavor but to get no nourishment from it. When you look at the scriptures, it's very clear to me that God wants you to be nourished by his word. So nourished that the nourishment of God's word leads you to make a difference in your community. In the text of verse 26, it says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. The word religious here in verse 26 means the outward practice of service to God. Pure religion has nothing to do with ceremonies or temples or special days, but pure religion means practicing God's word and sharing it with others in speech, in service, and in the separation from the world. Verse 26 is a, is a very powerful verse because it talks about uh, this little thing that's inside of our mouths called the tongue. And a lot of, a lot of us, if we're honest, uh, our tongue needs a little redemption. I could call somebody out right now, but I'm not going to do it. I, I'll, I'll mention it after church. But we all have to get to a place where we don't only hear the right thing, but we're saying the right thing. Because in reality, uh, the tongue reveals the heart. In Matthew 12, and I'm going to read the passage, it literally tells us out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever's coming out of your mouth is really a reflection of your heart. After James addresses speech, he talks about service. Verse 27 says, religion that is pure is undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit the orphans and widows. It is to care for those who can do nothing for you. One of the greatest tests of your life is what are you doing for people who can do nothing for you back? I'm a fundraiser. I, I, this past week, I was telling Ron, I had to host some donors at practice, ultimately because we're trying to raise some money for FCA. I'm doing nice things to those guys, ultimately because they're doing something for me. But the question is, what am I doing for the people who can do nothing for me back? Like, what am I doing for the people who can't repay me back? And when you look at the idea of the widows and the orphans, we need to be committed to blessing those who cannot repay the favor. So he addresses speech, he addresses service, but he also addresses separation from the world. It says to visit the orphans and the widows, and it says to keep oneself unstained from the world. Close with this. We, we need to understand that God certainly loves us, and God has a plan for us, and part of that plan is to leave us in the world, kind of like a ship is created to be in the water. A ship is created to be in the water, but the water is not created to be in the ship. As Christians, we need to be in the world, but we've got to have a distinct separation um, so that the world does not infiltrate our lives. So here's the application I'm done this morning. Christian, come on up. When you think about the passage, number one, humility is hard. 
humility, walking in humility is tough because we want life our way and we want life on our terms. The idea of listening, not speaking, is hard because we got something to say. We, we have an opinion to express. We have thoughts that need to be conveyed. And we've got to get to a place in our lives where we understand that, yes, what I have to say is important. Your prayer life, your conversations with God are significant. Please do not hear me discouraging you from praying. I'm not doing that. But I do believe there's a part of, of prayer where we're doing a little bit more listening and less talking. Where we're allowing God to speak to us. Where we're allowing the truth of God's word to transform us. I can't speak for you, I can speak for myself. The more grounded I am in the truth, the more solid the foundation is that I can stand on. And that doesn't happen from me telling God what I think. That happens when I hear what God says about me. So number one, humility is hard. And secondly, health requires discipline. We got to be disciplined enough to allow God to identify the weeds in our life. And we need to be disciplined enough to pull out the weeds, to break up the fallow ground in our lives so that we are not impacted by the weeds, so that when we leave here today, we're not choked out by the weeds of our life. And lastly, done. Honesty will protect you. God gives us his word to protect us. God gives us his word to, to keep us from sinning, to keep us from falling not to punish us, not to shame us, but God wants to keep us from the pain that happens every time we sin. The, the, the older I get, the more I'm convinced that God loves me so much more than I could ever imagine. And when I read his word, it's not that God is trying to point the finger at me, but God is saying, hey, Thomas, I love you. I don't want you to fall into the pit. Thomas, I don't want you to deal with the pain. Thomas, I don't want you to deal with the shame. I don't want you to deal with the embarrassment. I don't want you to have to go through that. And God is trying to keep me from sinning. But because God is kind and because God is loving and because God gives us free will, he allows us to make the decisions on our own. So, so, sometimes I just wish he wouldn't do it that way but if he didn't do it that way, then we would not get the lessons that we need to hear. So as we continue the passage, as we continue to study the passage, I hope and pray that we get to a place where we are not just coming to hear Thomas on Sunday. I hope we get to a place where we are trying to apply the truth. One of the things that, that you should leave here each week thinking is, what is God saying to me and what am I going to do about it? Like, what truth has been exposed in my life and what changes can I practically make to apply the truth? The more we have that mindset, the more we will be blessed because the text tells us that we are blessed when we're not just hearers of God's word, but when we get to a place where we are willing to do what God's word encourages us to do. Want everybody to stand for me?